0: Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. Um, The topic for this podcast is gender incongruence, which is under the umbrella of transgender or gender dysphoria. Um, We have a couple here in the podcast studio. It's not really a studio. It's my front room um, to talk about their journey. Each of these stories is different. As I meet with people that experience gender dysphoria or gender incongruence, I realize that every story is different and this story will be different. And that's one of the things we're trying to bring here is just as many stories as possible so that we can come together and better support people. When we know better, we do better. But I've learned in my own life that I have to hear stories from real life people experiencing these things and walking this road. Um, That helps me to sort of get closer to the finish line of understanding people that experience gender dysphoria or gender incongruence. So with that introduction, we started with prayer, and I have two active and committed Latter-day Saints of uh, my friends, Bree and Kit. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Richard. Thanks
1: for having us on.
0: We're having some mic problems, so we're, they're sharing a mic, um, so there may be just a little bit of lag as the mic is moved from guest to guest. But Bree and Kit have been married for 41 years, Um, They live in Davis County. They have four children, um, 11 grandchildren. Um, Bree served a mission in Northern England, not far from where I served, not far from the time that I served. So we're roughly about the same age. And this is a wonderful couple. Um, Bree is the one that experiences, and just, I'm not going to even use any labels at this point. I'm just going to let you define um, how you've, just
1: share with our listeners how you feel and what labels work for you. Okay. Um, Thanks, Richard, for the introduction, and it's a pleasure for us to be here. Um, I experience gender dysphoria, um, but, well, let me back up. Some people experience gender dysphoria, that is a, a dysphoric feeling or depression over their gender identity, Um, I think a a better, more proper term would be gender incongruence. Um, There's a disconnect between my gender identity and my biological gender. And so it's an incongruence. Um, And for some people such as myself, that incongruence is mm, most of the time mild or manageable, there are people um, who also experience a gender incongruence, but it's much more severe, which can lead to gender dysphoria. And that dysphoria can be so severe sometimes that it causes uh, severe depression. Um, It can be severe enough that it causes people to be suicidal. Um, I have a little bit of an advantage in that I guess if I was going to identify my incongruence, I feel a little bit more gender fluid. Um, There is definitely a very strong um, daily feminine identity to me. I do still feel um, somewhat of a masculine identity, Um, and that varies a little bit um, from day to day, time to time. It is still part of me. Um, I live. I've lived with this for mm, as much as I know about fifty years, and so um, it's still a part of me. It's part of my history, and so I can't say that I I really just don't relate to my past at all anymore. It is still part of me, but that incongruence is definitely there all the time, um, and so that that how I identify and how I relate is maybe different from um, my biological presentation. Good job. And listeners, we don't do a lot of scripting ahead of time.
0: I've learned that it's just best to get my guests telling their story. I tell them that it's like going out to lunch with me, but there's like 10,000 people listening and and no one can tell your story better than you can. So... um, I just hope this is helpful for you. Every story is different. I, um, I think I'd love to, as I'm thinking out loud and sharing my thoughts with you in real time, I think I'd love to hear Bree share kind of this long period of your life where you're experiencing gender incongruence and you're not sharing with that with anybody and you talked before we went live about the fear, the shame, the guilt, and just you'd lose it all if anybody learned this about you, and you're in this wonderful marriage, and that went on for maybe four decades or something, and then um, the next segment would be talking to your wife Kit, and just sort of how Kit's here with her, you know, Bree, they're holding hands on the, you know, across the table. This is a beautiful uh, marriage. It's a, you know, I'm I don't want to put any labels on the marriage. It's just an authentic, great marriage. As I'm listening, Kit is Bree's biggest ally. I mean, Bree has been very clear before we went live that Kit is um, loves Bree, and this is a wonderful, healthy marriage, and they're great f- allies and um, to each other. So I, th- I think our listeners would love to hear the story of you coming out to Kit and how Kit managed that and how... I asked a question ahead of time that I'll ask during that segment is just, is your relationship in a better place than it's ever been? And they did say yes, but we'll hear why. Um, because you got married in the Manti Temple, and I don't think if I'd met you on the grounds of the Manti Temple, walking out of the temple, that you would think this is where you'd be right now. Um, and you've lost a child. Um, but in a way, this is what all of our lives are. They don't quite turn out. So it's sort of how we navigate all these Curves, and um, as we learn more about ourselves and each other, be able to come together closer as we're more honest and vulnerable. Often that can lead to some of the very best times. I may have mentioned this um, in this podcast, but you are a board member of North Star. Um, North Star, we may talk about that as an L- LGBTQ support organization that's consistent with church teachings. And I'm glad that somebody like you is involved with North Star. Um So talk about just take us back to these four decades of
1: these feelings and keeping them to yourself. It's very interesting that um, this is something that uh, in kind of 2020 hindsight i've I've become more and more aware of it um, just more recently. Um, so, Living with this for so long, um, I I mentioned earlier that um, it's a struggle trying to deal with or process through this in a life where you live every day with fear and shame and guilt and doubt, all of those things that are... So emotionally depressing, um, which is where a lot of this dysphoria takes so many people. Um, You live in fear that anyone will find out. Um, you, You feel shame because of society's perceptions. You feel guilt that this is somehow wrong, again, because of society. And just... The doubt that you'll ever have support, that you could ever be your true self, um, I I knew I knew if anybody ever found out about this, that I would lose them. Um, and so you keep it secret. Um, this is something that I hid for fifty years. This was going to go to my grave. I knew that if anybody ever found out, I would lose my family, I would lose my wife, I would lose my kids, I would lose my friends. And just to live with that fear is is really hard. Um, but it is something—this is my experience and my journey, but I think that's kind of um, an overall um, feeling for almost anybody in the trans community. Um, just knowing that you can't be your true self, and that if you ever were, uh, n- you would lose it all. Um, and so um, I kept myself. I, I developed some coping mechanisms. I kept myself busy, and that's how I dealt with this incongruence and and the dysphoria is is by keeping active um, hobbies and work and just throwing myself into every project or everything that I thought to, that I could do. and as long as I was active, um, I didn't feel the dysphoria. Um, the the quote is the quote I like is objectivity terminates panic And so as long as I used, physical things to stay busy, if I kept my hands busy, if I kept myself busy, if I stayed active, if I, if I exercised, if I was doing stuff, then the panic was not there. Um, I think it's interesting, uh, uh, talking to a friend of mine about this, um, their description of this, what they felt was it was like white noise or static to just have the radio not quite tuned in to be listening to this static all the time or just white noise. And just, you know, if you listen to that all the time, you get to the point that it just starts to grind away at you. Um, And it's this this inner just mm, turmoil. And when you're able to be yourself, when you're able to... mm, what we call present as your true self, that white noise and that static stops. And that's such a relief to finally have that static go away. Um, And some people describe this as, you know, the ups and downs of like a roller coaster, they have good days and bad days. Um, And I think for me, one of the reasons I relate to this is when my friend described that, it described, what I experience, I don't have a roller coaster up and down, but I do feel this, just this background, just being uncomfortable, feeling like there's just static in your life. And when you're able to be your true self, that static goes away and it, it's, it's wonderful. It, it feels like you can finally breathe again. And so um, that's kind of where I, I am over this long journey. And this has become more and more um, easy for me to deal with as I've been able to get away from that 50 years of guilt and shame and doubt and be myself. Um, And that's happened just in the last little while, Um, um, about seven years ago. um, Before
0: you go there, let me ask some questions about this. Hold that thought. Um, First, I just want to make a comment from your bio at North Star just— We're probably going to have time to talk about your professional career, but I've loved, last 10 years you've been a science teacher. Bree has a degree in physics, geology, and a master's in geophysics. And an active field research has led to appearance on the Discovery Channel, National Geographic, and BBC. And I don't think Bree would just proactively tell us that, but I share that with you listeners to know this is a really bright, wonderful person um, that has contributed to our community in many ways and um, I've always been interested in some of those things that you have core expertise in so we could talk about all that but we won't want oh, kit kits go
1: for it kit I've
2: always said that Bree can do anything but hurry
1: <laughs> <laughs> anything <laughs> but <by> hurry <laughs> if you want it done quickly ask someone else
0: <laughs> so let's go back to England because we were kind of in England at the same time and and you're serving as an elder um Help me if I miss say anything here. You're biologically male. You go on a mission as an elder. Um, you're serving and bringing people to Christ. Just talk about this. What this incongruence felt like during that time, or before, or after. Just take us back to
1: examples of what was the pain or the incongruence. Um, I appreciate the question. Um, again, this is for me something that I've had to look back in. Yeah. Uh, in retrospect, um, and again, even, well, my whole life, looking at or realizing, trying to deal with that incongruence um, and the shame and fear and guilt and doubt that goes with that, as long as I was active, as long as I was doing something, it wasn't as bad. And I I could feel that role as a missionary in England because you're busy all the time. No, true. You, you don't have idle time. And it's the idle time when that static comes in. For me, anyway, as long as I was active, I didn't hear the static as much. Um, but for me, even though I felt maybe a disconnect in my incongruence in my gender self and the church, I knew then, and I've known all along. I've been able to separate the church socially from gospel truth. And the gospel truth is the gospel truth. The atonement is real. And our Savior loves us unconditionally. And it's through that knowledge of the pure gospel, the plan of salvation, the plan of the atonement, our heavenly fathers and our saviors, unconditional love is what pulls you through. And realizing or focusing on the gospel and that unconditional love, it can help sway or move you away from the cultural feelings sometimes that are dysphoric and are that static and that was that was I think just the basics the basics of the gospel truths that helped me function and realize that I could serve a mission and I could be out there and I could do those things and I could preach the gospel because to me, I was preaching the gospel. Um, And so I didn't really feel so much of that static or that incongruence during that time because I could focus on the gospel and trying to help people feel the love of our Savior and teach and preach the atonement because it's really what the gospel comes down to. Without the atonement, we're we're nothing. We're all lost. And that sacrifice, that pure, unconditional love that was made on our behalf is what's really important in the gospel, but also in the church. Beyond that, it's just not really relevant. I don't want to say irrelevant, but Everything pales in comparison to the atonement. Thank you for that really
0: thoughtful answer Bree were were there things you were doing um, in your 20s or 30s during this time of not being out to anybody that helped you cope with the incongruence? I mean some report they were doing some things privately to just sort of manage the incongruence or were you just I mean it's and I don't I bring that question up just to help our listeners understand. Um, just the pain you were in, and and what you were trying to do to just deal with that, so you could stay alive and move forward in your life, or was this just something you just, you
1: know, you just man, you just managed? Um, yes, and I appreciate that question as well because um, that's something that I think is true of most people, even though our journey is different. Um, dealing with this incongruence, you get to a point. You, you just have to be yourself. Um, and and even if you're trying to keep it secret, even if you're trying to n- make sure that nobody knows, there are times that you have to be yourself. And I would, I would I, on occasion be myself. Um, <clears throat> this feminine side of me would come out. And I think that's part of... Mm, People, people that have known me all my life, known that I have always dressed to the nines, whether I was dressing masculine or or feminine. Either way, I was always, always just really dressed up, and that's something that helped me deal with this incongruence. Is just being overly expressive in how I presented in my clothing and my style and my fashion, um, and that would be very helpful to me, and that was a release. That was that was a way that I could identify as being myself. Um, and on occasion, um, this expression of myself would be more feminine than masculine. Um, and that helped quiet that noise, that helped quiet that incongruence. Um, and that's, that's the secret part. And that's what's really hard is, y- 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 <laughs> feeling like you're living a lie, you're not being your true self, um, and the frustration of when you do or did express your true self, it, it was such a relief. Um, and it's really hard to identify the spirit in your life when you're living in secret. Um, I think being your true self, being who you really are and not living that secret life or that lie, so to speak, when you can get rid of that, that shame and that fear and that guilt and that doubt, then the spirit can actually then start working with you or speaking to you. And the difference in before and after now, I... I feel as though I just feel a spirit so much stronger now than I ever have before, even when, even then, when I was on my mission. Um, because even then, I was still not really my true self, and and getting rid of that shame and that guilt and that doubt just frees someone, and you become better able to feel a Savior and feel a Savior's love and feel Him working in your life.
0: Thank you for sharing that and being honest with some of the things you did. And I I just look, listeners, that um, fear and shame to me are things that Satan wants to bring into our lives to separate us from God and to make us feel we're outside of God's love or that we are not worthy of God's love because of who we are and as Bree sharing her, you know, your story, we're going to talk about your pronouns in a second. Um, as Bree sharing um, your story, I think we're recognizing that it connected you with the Spirit as you were able to eliminate the fear and shame. And I recognize sometimes when we don't want to understand something, listeners, we things. It's easy for us to say, well, this is a sign of the last days, and Satan confusing people, and. I know you've heard that your whole life. (laughs) That probably just activates you (laughs) um, across the table. But I've learned to try not to say that until I fully explore a space that someone's applying that to. I certainly am guilty of of assigning that to groups of people I didn't understand. And then as I've met with transgender Latter-day Saints or people experience gender dysphoria or gender incongruence, and it's it. I just recognize that this is real and you've been on this road for 50 years. And if I just say something with my uninformed opinions, it just adds to your burden um, and can just make life a little harder for you versus taking the time to hear your story. So let's talk about what led you to come out to your wife, Kit.
1: Well, so maybe that's a story for my wife, Kit. No? No. Huh? You'll well. Hang on, I bet kid'll add something here. <laughs> I don't know. <clears throat> well, and so before I answer that, I want to answer something that you just said. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> talking about you're not being familiar with this, or or being educated, or right. <clears throat> um, I want you to know, for me, and I hope for almost anyone that identifies anywhere on this transgender spectrum for me as long as i know you're sincere that you care you you can't add to my burden you you can't hurt me you can't offend me because i as long as i know you care and you want to know then i I can I can feel that spirit and and I can relate to that and we can share and we can talk and and we can come to an understanding. Um, so compassion and love. If I know you care and I know you're concerned and I feel your love, you don't add to my burden. You help relieve that burden because it's one more person that can hopefully become an ally and become a friend. And that's very helpful.
0: There's a lot of grace in that. So thank you.
1: Um, So we had an experience about seven years ago. Um, Our oldest child, our biological son passed away. And because of working on funeral and arrangements and things like that, um, out of the blue, um, Kit picked up my phone and saw an email message in regard to something I was doing that was g- transgender related. <clears throat> um, Kit wasn't sure how to respond to that. Um, I took her response as kind of negative, And then within another month, we adopted another child and so we had a month where we lost a biological biological child kit learned of mm, possibly my gender incongruence and then we adopted a child and that was that was a difficult month um things have been uphill since then <laughs> that may have been a low point um, and i took kit's reaction at that time as negative that this was something she was not ready to cope with or deal with. And because of that, I, I took all of this and I, I buried it even deeper, <clears throat> thinking that what I had thought all those years, that if anybody ever finds out about this, I will lose them. And I took Kit's reaction as that I was going to lose her. And so I I had to bury it. I had to put it back and, and just deal with it as best I could. <clears throat> Um, and that, that was, that was a long period. We went through that period and I've got to add in here, just so you know, I, you've got to know that Kit has become my greatest and strongest ally. And this last year and a half, since this has all come to the surface, Number one is the support of my wife and spouse and my helpmate, Kit. I could not do this without her. And number two has been the wonderful community of North Star. Soon after this all happened, I got connected, we got connected with Northstar, And from the very first moment that we had contact with anybody with North Star. I could feel their unconditional love. And what a wonderful environment, what a wonderful group of people to be involved with, to be able to be myself and be with them and know that they loved me and supported me, um, unconditionally. And that has been really a big help.
0: Okay, Kit, Kit, we're sending the mic your way. Pull it right up next to you.
2: And um, Part of this, part of my reaction was, we've talked about this, that neither one of us really knew anything about this. And so I was asking questions that weren't very sensitive, but I didn't know. I didn't know anything. And then Bree shut down and then I had nobody to talk to for several years. And it was very, I mean, we talked a lot about, oh, I told my best friend or whatever. I Brie was always my only friend. And so I had nobody to talk to because it was, she totally shut down and, nope, I'm not interested. I don't want to have any, you know, I don't need to talk about this. I already told you. And so that was difficult for me um, through probably about four years of feeling really, really lonely. Um, And then, um, yeah, so that was part of it. I I didn't mean to be negative because I didn't think divorce. I didn't think uh, there was no disgust. It was just confusion, and I wanted to talk about it. And I had nobody to talk to about it. So that was a hard couple of years until um, through – and I, I know there's so many things that the Spirit leads. A friend of mine started telling me about her. Um, uh, we had, when we adopted, she adopted a brother of the boy we adopted. And she started telling me about... Some friends that she had where the husband was transgender. And I'm like, uh, yeah, that's. And she's like, I know that's why I'm telling you this. <laughs> so then I was finally able to get connected with Northstar even before Brie did with the spouses group. And that was very helpful and um, for me to learn a lot of things.
0: Talk about the spouses group because I know you get a lot of messages now from spouses, both of you. Talk I, about just. Talk to other spouses that have a... I
2: can do that. I, it's, I'm really not a big Facebook person because okay. I get really disturbed by the negative that people are so comfortable to put out there. That's And true. But um, so it's just like, oh, I'd rather live my life in a bubble than hear all these... Neg- I don't know why people are so willing to be negative on... I mean, where everybody can look at it over and over again is bad enough to say it in the first place and then not have it recorded. And so um, I don't do a lot of that, but it was very helpful to me to know that I wasn't alone and to be able to ask questions. And I got a lot of, I did a lot of things wrong and said a lot of things wrong, which I think that's kind of a issue that I have that we're always correcting each other. And it's like, it's everybody's own journey. There's not the right words if for, you know, we all have our own, our own words that we want to use and that we're comfortable with. And Bree and I are very open to letting people be themselves that way too. But it was very helpful to have other spouses to talk to and to field their journey or whatever. And I always felt like, oh, well, Mine's not that bad. I guess I'm okay, (laughs) which is, I'm not experiencing that. Um, My spouse is so, so different from that. It was helpful.
0: Talk And that's great. Talk about, I mean, you've got kind of two things you're going on here. You've got to help your spouse. And your spouse, you know, being trans has got some real specific needs from you and some specific needs that your spouse, but you've also got needs because you're, you're, it's just changed for you, you know, from when you walked out of the Manti temple Mm -hmm. to the reality of your marriage. And, and so you've got to kind of take care of yourself or need help for yourself to sort of move forward with the new reality. Can you talk to any spouses as maybe new reality is a good term? They're just coming to terms and they with the new reality, or, or was that such a gradual thing for you? It was just sort of like this is another phase of our, our marriage.
2: I really think our experience is quite a bit different as, because Brie really didn't change in the way that I was treated, in the service that I was given, in the things that were taken care of in our home. All of those things. I said Brie can do anything but hurry. And it, none of those things stopped. And in, f- in fact, they were ramped up. Um we we've talked about this in our f- in our family, there's no gender-specific jobs. They're all <laughs> Bree's jobs. <laughs> um, I mean it there just wasn't it, we we will do either one. And so I feel like sometimes when people go through this experience, they don't like to um identify with gender-specific jobs. It's like, I'm not going to do that. That's a man's job. And we just didn't ever deal with that. The only thing in my life that changed was appearances a little bit. So I can be very grateful for that. I've always been totally pampered and taken care of. I work hard too, but I mean, that did not, that didn't change in my life. And and then I have also tried, I think I noticed a little bit on our spouses group, a lot of trivialities that upset people. And I think, I think there's a lot bigger things that we need to be worried about than, and they're things that I just perceived as trivialities. They may not be to them, but um, to me a name is a triviality to me who takes out the garbage is a triviality things like that. but again because Bree was always so willing to do anything that needed to be done around the house I I didn't have the same issues as or the same experiences as a lot of, um, maybe younger couples that this happens with and they're still navigating being newlyweds and working out their relationships and so and it's you've a got
0: different nearly four decades or three yeah, plus decades. That we
2: had already worked those things out. And on top of that, I I didn't ever have any of those problems. Bree is so service oriented.
0: It's interesting that one of the things that as Brie was coming out you felt and it was kind of a long period of time because as those The initial experience and like three years of not talking about it. But during those three years, you didn't feel Brie pulling back from the marriage or disconnecting and everything stayed the same. And I'm guessing that just helped you in your journey that, you know, whatever's going on doesn't seem to be affecting Brie's commitment to the marriage, love for me and, and our family. Talk about why, this is back to Brie and Kit can come in, why is your marriage now in a better place than it's ever been. Because some would look at your marriage and say, this isn't a healthy marriage. You've got one with that's gendered. I'm sorry to make so, triggering no, comments okay. here. No,
2: it's not for but me. But some
0: might look at this and say, this is not an ideal marriage. This is not what we're looking for in Mormon world is, you know, somebody experiencing gender dysphoria married to someone who doesn't. Um, and so it's, I don't want to say triggering comments to your listeners, but why then for you, is this actually the best marriage you've ever been in? The best time of your marriage? Cause you've only been married to each other. I don't want to imply you've been married yeah. to other people. Um,
2: because I knew there were secrets. I, I didn't know what they were. It didn't affect the treatment, I mean, I was always treated so well and everything, but I knew there were secrets.
0: That's just your heart. Yeah, just, I just
2: knew inside. And, and I sometimes wondered if it was because something was wrong with me.
0: That's honest.
2: Okay. That there was something wrong with me, so that's why there's these secrets. And now there's no secrets, and I don't have that. So that's, that's why I say our marriage is better than that, because the secrets are gone. Okay the the relationship the treatment hasn't changed any I just know there are no secrets now and so that's why to me I'm happier than I ever been because I know there's not secrets
0: vulnerability breeds connection and <laughs> our minds when you sense something like that most people's minds go down lots of different paths lots of different times and and there's fear with that and so I love that what you just
1: said Free. So um, yeah, I'm, just to echo that, um, our relationship before was always good, but I was living with that secret and feeling as though I was living. It's not really a lie, but it's a secret, and you're holding back, and you're not being your real self, and you're you're not. You know that it, it kind of breaks down the trust a little bit. Um, and so, you know, now that our relationship is, is to the point where that secret is not there, it's just, it just brought us so much closer together, it strengthens us and, and just makes that trust so much stronger because yeah, it, I'm not living that secret life. And one other comment I wanted to make about that seven year period, Kit mentioned that, um, you know, um, during that period, there was a real struggle because we we looked for help. We looked for um, uh, someone. um, We looked for support and it wasn't there. And that's that's partly one of the reasons why. Well, the biggest reason I shut down is I I took that or put it back away is because I felt Kit's reaction was negative. But the other reason was I didn't understand this myself. Even though I'd lived with this for 50 years, I didn't really know what it was. And I couldn't find any help or support. There was there's there was nothing out there. Um, in fact, it wasn't until ooh, a year and a half ago that I actually said to myself, oh, I experienced gender incongruence. That was something new to me as well. And so to be able to to talk about this seven years ago, I didn't really know how to talk about it. I didn't know what it was. Um, And so I think for me, I I believe everything happens for a reason. And when all this happened, it was like, I'm not sure why this happened, but what can I learn from this? And I think one of the main takeaways from this is I I want people to know that there is help and there is support and you you can find help for this um and and again mostly that um you, you we're in a position now I get uh, I want to just be able to help As
0: in support
1: I want to be able to support I want to be able to let people know that their Savior loves them unconditionally. And we don't always know the end of the road, we don't know where the journey's gonna take us. I remember just being overwhelmed with the first contact I had at North Star a year ago in the opening, uh, the
2: opening social.
1: Opening social. Couldn't think of the word social. The opening social, going there the first time. And I didn't know where this journey would take me, and I still don't. And I didn't know how things were going to move or progress. But when I walked in the door, and the very first person that greeted me and gave me a hug and told me they loved me, I knew it would be okay. I didn't know where I was going or where I'd end up, but I knew it was going to be okay. And it's that connection, that spirit you feel through that love, that strengthens me, that helps me get through this. And so, um, and that's part of I think what strengthened our relationship as well is that this. Kit being such a strong ally for me and realizing how much she loves me and that has been such a strength to me. And I shared with a friend of mine that realizing what Kit has done for me in this, and she's going to say, oh, I didn't do anything, (laughs) realizing what she's done for me in this, I can never repay her. There is there is no service. There is there's nothing that I can do, I feel, that will ever make up for what she's done for me. And I think that's also what strengthened the relationship. I just hope if she ever says the word jump that I'm already in the air, <laughs> that I can anticipate anything that I can do for her.
0: This is a beautiful love story. I'm struck with um, how healing it was for you to go to North Star and to be your authentic self and have people just come up and say, I love you. And we did a podcast earlier um, with the two founders of North Star, Ty and Jeff. And one of the things that they said um, was very insightful. They said, we hope someday that North Star is not needed. Um, And so an application of that is that you could feel that same feeling and all of, everybody, all of us, LGBTQ or straight, can just be our authentic selves. It's easier, obviously, for straight people to do that in congregations, but, you know, we could just be exactly who we are um, and be loved in our congregations. And I would hope that that feeling, you presenting your authentic self, that you would feel safe enough... uh, and everybody that experienced gender dysphoria would feel safe enough to be their authentic selves and have that feeling in the congregations. And I think we're just obviously not to that point yet. You're at that point in your marriage and you're at that point with North Star. Um, But it's hearing your stories that help us realize that, you know, when we talk about love thy neighbor as thyself, this is a practical application. Um, we do it unto the least of these, we do it unto me. All those foundational teachings from the New Testament, I think about those, you know, I think who are the what society says are the least of these. That's and that's often transgender people. And that's not fair, and it's not right. And I've learned that as I've met transgender people, they are not the least of these. These are some of Heavenly Father's finest children. But society has defined them in a way that's caused me to see them different than Heavenly Father would see them. But Kit sees you the way Heavenly Father sees you, and you do because you've got rid of the shame, fear, and you've used your relationship with your Heavenly Father and the atonement to heal yourself. And you've connected with North Star and other people. So, And, I, and that to me is just a beautiful success story. Now you're in a position where you can... I have to think this is part of your intended mortal journey is to be in this spot at this point, to be this steady voice of credibility Um, because you've been on this road for a long time. This isn't just something that, you know, just came into your life recently. This is 40, 50 years and to be able to help people understand this is real. Um, I love your idea that you didn't have a vocabulary. Some would say, well, all all these people coming out is just a sign of the last days or they're watching too much TV and it's confusing them or we're talking about LGBTQ in school and so we're confusing our kids into being LGBTQ. And listeners, I think there might be some short-term trial or experimentation. I wouldn't rule that out, but I don't think that causes someone that's straight, even with some short-term experimentation, to be... LGBTQ. We tried conversion therapy to make LGBTQ straight and that didn't work. So I don't think the reverse does. So my point with not the vocabulary is I think there's a lot of people in these podcasts often what you said, LGBTQ says, I just didn't have the vocabulary. I knew I was different from a very early age. And I just kind of kept this to myself and I never talked about it. And I was full of shame and fear. And it wasn't until education and science and stories, and a relationship with Heavenly Father that was sort of able to help me understand this is what this is what's going on with me. And you had the vocabulary then to talk about it. To me, then that's an improvement in society um, because we're eliminating fear and shame and and people disconnecting from our Heavenly Father. So that's the way I look at this, listeners. <laughs> and more people stepping forward to me is an improvement and that there's we're coming together and we're understanding things just like we have in the past with things we generally didn't understand um so I'm going to turn it back to you you can any you can just go wherever you want to on this with those things i've said or start a new section
1: so i i agree with your comments um that um you know there are people that say well you know this is a new thing you know and and so many so many new experiences and so many people are coming out and we hear so many negatives with it and things like that. <clears throat> um, my feeling with that is this is not something new. This is just something that people have, society has made it so that people are afraid to be themselves to say anything about dealing with gender incongruence or even gender dysphoria. And so we say, well, this is something new. Well, no, we've finally gotten to a point in society where people are starting to feel enough comfortable that they can be a little bit vulnerable um, where before I, you didn't even dare be vulnerable. You, you you were just so afraid of what would happen, um, society and the prejudice and and misconceptions and and so you know there are people that will say, well, yeah, this is something new, but I don't think it is. Um, and we're finding that it's um, more common than. We perceived and that people have just been struggling with it. And we hate to use the word struggle, it's an experience. We experience gender incongruence um, and it can lead to dysphoria or depression. And some people refer to that as a struggle, but I don't like the word struggle. I maybe like the word more of a in the scriptures, it says a weakness, and the Lord gives us weaknesses that so way they can become strengths. We struggle
2: with way we're treated,
1: maybe. And yeah, we struggle with maybe yeah. how we're treated or I've how we're f- going to be treated. I've
0: had a few gay guys say, I don't struggle with my same sex attraction. Everybody else just does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm just fine with it. It's everybody else's things have a I'm problem with it. I'm <laughs> fine as long as
1: everybody just leave me alone. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, <clears throat> <clears throat> now, i really like that talk about you know um what pronouns you use now and our listeners can't see you so i'm gonna ask you to describe what you hope they see as they if they could all meet you right now what <laughs> pronouns we'd use and and you could also talk about your relationship with the church and you're you're your wanting to stay you know fully um within line teach with church teaching so i just kind of let you go where you want to go with that
1: Um, So, first, how I hope people would perceive me. Um, I would hope people would see me as someone who accepts them for who they are, and that I can
2: love them and
1: show them respect and support. And... somebody that understands and somebody that's a safe place. Um, Whether we're worried about names and pronouns or labels or identities, I think most important is that we find a safe place, somewhere where you know you can be yourself and that that will be okay. Um, as far as as far as labels and pronouns, um, again, back a little bit to me. This is my experience. This this is how I can go down this journey, down this road. And it might not be for everybody. Um, I don't find that names and pronouns are a trigger to me. There will be people somewhere along the trans spectrum that <clears throat> names and pronouns could be a trigger. It could cause some dysphoria. <clears throat> um, as I mentioned earlier, before I've I've lived with this for so many years that I still I acknowledge my past. I I know who I've been. I I know what I wanted to be. And now I, I know who I am. And so for me, I, I don't have so much of a struggle with the pronouns and names. Do I have preferences? Yes. Um, And that's been a little bit of a struggle. um, This, this kind of uh, struggle. See, we, we throw that word in all the time and it's not really a struggle, (laughs) something that we work through. Um, Year and a half ago, when this came to light through um, priesthood authority um, and the question of whether I was worthy for a temple recommend or not, and um, it was it was put back on me that um, this was not okay. That this that. M- m- me expressing myself as my true self, um, coming out as, as transgender and, and presenting and exhibiting myself female, was not worthy of a temple recommend. And um, that's really when things kind of came out because it's kind of hard to go home and tell your family... Why you didn't get a temple recommend without them asking questions as to why? Um, and so, this has been a process over the last year and a half or so. Um, and again, Kit has been my biggest ally. Um, we would we would consistently pray every night for our priesthood leadership to be understanding and to be able to have a softened heart and for us to not be angry um, to realize that everybody has their own journey that <clears throat> my weakness is my incongruence and maybe my priesthood leaders weakness is understanding this. And so to pray for them um, that they might feel a spirit and realize that mm-hmm. I've not broken any covenants or commandments in anything I've done, and that I can be worthy, and and to move forward to that. Um, could you answer all the temple recommend questions in in the way that you would get a recommend? Yes, I could. So it was just that you, and came and out. That was I. I wasn't asked the temple recommend questions. Um, I was. Shown a picture of myself completely dressed female and told that that was inappropriate, that that was not something that would make me worthy of a temple recommend, just point blank and face value. And so, and I could look at that as a negative thing, but again, like I mentioned before, I was able to separate the church from the gospel, realizing that I had made a covenant um, <clears throat> with baptism, and I had made covenants after that, and that I intended to keep those covenants. Worthy or not, by someone else's point of view, I've, I felt worthy and, and knew that I was going to keep those covenants regardless. And I think being able to to put myself in that position helped me through this. Um, And then, you know, in the, in the long run, coming to realize that this has truly been a a blessing. When I, I was finally able to be myself and realize that. My heavenly father and my savior love me unconditionally. It was such a, such a, a, I had such a burden lifted from me. I felt like I lost a hundred pounds, not like I have a hundred pounds to lose. But <laughs> I I felt like I could finally breathe. Um, Alma talks about the relief as as he realized that his sins were taken up in the atonement of Christ, and what a what a what a joyous experience that was. And I I can relate to that. And it wasn't a realization that I had been forgiven of my sins through the atonement. It was a realization that my Savior loved me, that I was worthy, and that uh, it, everything would be okay. It might take some time, and I might have to work through this, but I knew at some point in time it would it would be okay. Um, for <clears throat> a year. Um, Kit would encourage our priesthood leader to look at podcasts such as yours and look at other information that's out there, things about accepting and loving. <clears throat> and um, not too long ago, um, my priesthood leader has got back in contact with us, and um, it's it's been a great experience. Um, I had the opportunity to speak at a priesthood leadership. No, it was a stake leadership presentation on a fifth Sunday about this whole thing, about my experience and about what's happened and um, <clears throat> the um, there's a, a, there's going to be continued training in my stake in our stake um, about, Acceptance and inclusion and making sure that um, we recognize the marginalized and we reach out. Um, <clears throat> my stake president, uh, he says, I I shouldn't have to tell you this, but I, I feel like I have to give you permission to love everyone. There's this perception out there that if you love somebody of the LGBTQ plus community that that's going to be going against the teachings of the church somehow, where in reality, um, I mean, (laughs) the teachings of the church are, yeah, we love everyone, but there seems to be a holdback when it comes to this marginalized community that if, if we accept them and if we support them and we show them love, that that's something against the teachings of the church. And I'm like... How can that be against the teachings of our Savior? Who, if you look at his life and his mission, it was amongst the marginalized. That's who he came to. And I think that's who he's trying to reach out to now, is this marginalized group. I have to tell you that in this experience, um, <clears throat> my stake president has made a 180-degree turn Um which is part of the reason why, um, I never thought that I would ever stand up at a pulpit, in a church meeting, and <laughs> tell everybody that I experienced gender incongruence. Um, and that that happened. Um, <laughs> and so,
0: what kind of response did you get from the people in that meeting as the meeting concluded?
1: The response has been so wonderful. The first person that made contact with me after that leadership training meeting came over and as I think I remember the words exactly (laughs) because it was just so moving. This person said to me, You have changed my mind and touched my heart. And, you know, to be able to actually touch somebody's heart, you know, that you really made a difference. There were so many people that just said, I've got a whole different perspective from this. Because everybody in the meeting has known Kit and I for so many years. And I think to see this person that they've known for so long as this person and then to realize that it's not a different person, I'm still the same person. I just experienced gender incongruence and I want to be myself in a how I express myself, how I conduct myself, and how I live. And it's really not any different from what they've known for so many years. Um, I'm, I'm still the person you can call to come over and help you replace your water heater. I'll still come over and help you shingle your roof. Um, funny experience, um, my nephew When my nephew was told that I experienced gender incongruence, the comment was, will you still come help me put in my sprinklers? And I said, yeah, I might be in a dress, but I'll come help you with your sprinklers. And he says, I don't care if you show up in a dress as long as we get my sprinklers in. (laughs) That's great.
0: (laughs) Um, I am struck by what's happened in your stake and. Your stick president didn't compromise the doctrine of our church to do what he did with you. Your stick president was just willing to set aside prior opinions and do what I've tried to do and invited others to do, and I had to do it when I was had priest responsibility for a couple gay men as I was just willing to hear their story. Elder Ubdorf talks about we need to get past the massive iron gates of what we thought we already knew, and to me that's my invitation, and it's what your stick president did and was willing to do. And you hung in there with them, even though you probably got angry at times and frustrated. Um, You extended a lot of grace and a lot of patience. And he, and this is just a beautiful relationship, but to then have him, have have you teach at a priesthood leadership meeting about love and inclusion. And I bet the Spirit was there. I bet that was like a priesthood leadership meeting that your stake has never had before. And those can get a little, I don't know what the right word to use, a little traditional, a little rote, a little kind of typical. A
1: little dry.
0: <laughs> but this is sort of like, okay, we've talked about these principles for all these years of love and inclusion, but let's talk about it in real life. Here is a stake member that experiences something none of us, perhaps no one else in the stake experiences. Maybe there's others. There are that have maybe coming out to you because they know you're safe, but to then it, vulnerability brings the spirit, it brings authentic connection. I just think of this is a miracle that you have this love and belonging from your your stake family. And I, your stake, I don't want to speak for your stake president, but I would guess this has helped him be a better stake president. It, the gay men in my ward helped me be a better bishop. They taught me things about the gospel of Jesus Christ and marginalization and and grace and humility and being willing to learn that helped me with the straight members of my stake. <laughs> um, it just taught me principles as I listened to these good men, and, and then they brought me in this in this space as I just felt impressed to step in the space. But I love and your stake president didn't sell at anything. He didn't have to go rogue. He didn't have to make up stuff. He just, and you're right, you're worthy of a temple recommend. And even more important, your voice is being heard to help us live the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a, it's a it's just beautiful. And now what you're doing at North Star and giving hope to other people, you are hope you realize part of your story is that you're, you know, you've got this maturity and this grace and this great marriage to sort of navigate these longer periods of difficulty that give hope to younger people that are just feeling some of the feelings you've felt and saying, Is there a light at the end of the tunnel? Can I hang in here? Can I work th- through a priestly or this difficult experience? And that's one of the things you're doing, is sort of saying you can hang in there if you've got a support system. But I want to turn it to Kit just to get her feeling about this chapter in the church and a temple recommend and this priesthood leadership meeting and just anything you'd like to share about this experience or anything else you want to say just your turn
2: um well when Bree didn't get a recommend i went to talk to the state president with him and i ended up giving my recommend back to him and so it's the honest. two, of, the two of says, i guess you know He's not worthy then. I am not either because I can't support this. And um, I felt it was pretty harsh. He just took it, threw it in his drawer, and we didn't talk about it again for a year. And we'd gone to the temple every month for 40 years. <laughs> so it was kind um. of weird, too. And But then COVID came, and so temples were shut down. Um, I was thinking, as um, Brie was talking about this, that we tried really hard through that time not wanting to be judged. So we were going to work really hard on not judging the opposite direction. It was very difficult, but it was like, okay, if we don't want this judgment, then we can't do that either. So you talk about the things you learned. It's helped us learn a lot about that, about giving, you said grace, but giving people, yeah, the opportunity to to make mistakes or to have their own opinions through that time. Um, I'm trying to think. So that that was something that I just thought of. As we were talking about that, it was, um, I don't know, it was, it was a, a difficult thing to go through that, but so grateful that, yeah, he was able to, I feel our state president was able to learn to accept a lot of other people that they're going to be finding out about and other people in our ward in our stake have come to speak to us about how they would talk to their their youth, and and I've been told many times by our children that we need to give people a lot of time. That we apparently are not giving our children enough time to um, accept this too. That it's a long, long process. So that's something that we are working on too. Is trying to be patient with people as they go through their whatever, whether stages of grief or um, trying to learn things that we need to be very, very patient. And patient may mean years. That's hard for me, too. But it may mean years and years for them to to finally come to grips with it. We were asked at that training, you know, what what would you – how would you tell us to deal with this or um, what questions do you want to be asked? Is that what it was? And um, I think it was – Charlie Bird, one of his podcasts that I listened to, and I just loved it, that his bishop said, what do I need to know about you so I can love and serve you better? And I think that the questions that we get asked should be, should's not a very good word either, but I think if we ask them in a way that you're asking about the person, not about what they're doing, that that can be very helpful if we have a, I mean, we have a tendency to say, why are you changing your name? Why not tell me about you? Let me, and and then Brene Brown also said, people are hard to hate, close up, move in. And I think those are both really good things. But yeah, the loving, the questions, tell me about you, not why you're doing things can be. And, and I try to I need to work on turning that around. Also, when I ask a person, why is this so hard for you to understand? Tell me about you so I can understand why this is such a difficult thing.
0: It's honest. I have to think that your stick present because of that priesthood leadership meeting, is having ex- people are opening up to him. Um, that may not have felt safe opening up to a priesthood leader before. They may not be LGBTQ, but because he's willing to have a transgender person teach a uh, priesthood leadership, he's, he's, I think he's creating a culture in your stake and for other leaders that we're a safe stake and we're going to, we're going to create space for people to be honest about what's going on in their lives. And so I would guess there's some conversations happening in your ward and stake and families it would not be happening without that priesthood leadership being and just the culture that's changing. Um, so I think there's sort of a ripple effect. I don't think that's just a one one stone that hit the water and and that was it. I think there's this ripple effect and I invite that's why I love these stories and maybe there's priesthood leaders listening. and I think that's just a principle of, of ministering is to is these type of experiences where you publicly, um, talk kindly about marginalized groups of people, LGBTQ in particular, and I think it is it is our doctrine to be kind to everybody and love everybody, and this is a practical application, but I think there's great benefit that comes just how you're perceived as a leader as you want to be able to have people open up to you, and that's not that's priesthood leaders or really society leaders or young women's leaders. Um, so anyway... Um, we're kind of at the hour and 11 minute mark. We always think we're going to go for an hour in these podcasts. We never do, but I'm just going to turn it back to Bree. And then for more thoughts or final thoughts.
1: Um, my final thought was going to be the Brene Brown quote <laughs> and Kit took that one from me. Um, but I love that quote. It's so much, it it makes so much sense um, and can be applied anywhere across any any of the spectrum, um, but um, I think maybe uh, just one, one thought that I've been having as we sat here is maybe looking back the other way. Um, and I mentioned earlier about um, um, uh, people and um, that, that we all have a different journey and that we're all a different place and we all have different things that are triggering to us. Um, and that, you know, Kit mentioned also being patient. Uh, and I, I think for me that goes the other way as well. Um, I think it's really helpful um, if people um, approach us and they're interested and we can feel compassion and love and they want to know our story, and I think for looking the other way as well, um, I feel like those that those that are working through their journey um, and have a difficult time with other people, maybe not progressing as quickly as they want them to. Um, if we, if we give people a hard time or make them feel uncomfortable if they use the wrong pronouns or they misname us or things like that and we, we kind of shame them, I don't think that's helpful to the trans community and I don't think that's helpful in creating a safe space. Um, people will tend to shut down if they feel uncomfortable, and so, you know, I've mentioned I'm okay and that I have still a little bit of that fluidity, um, and so it's okay if I it's okay if I get misgendered or if somebody uses the wrong pronouns. Um, I'm more comfortable, and it makes me. Happy it makes me smile if um, people use my preferred name and preferred pronouns. But I think for the trans community, if someone doesn't, we have to be patient with them as well. Um, Somebody that's known me for many, many, many years by a different name and different pronouns, I can't really expect them to change overnight um what would your if now that i'm meeting
0: you new for the first time if i asked you what are your preferred pronouns what would you say to me
1: (laughs) well so as i mentioned earlier this is a tough one because according to the church which i'm an active member according to the handbook it's okay if i transition medically i can take hormones I can change the chemistry of my body, but according to the handbook, I can't use a different pronoun or a different name. That's frustrating to me or dress differently. So (laughs) to me, I guess taking hormones is, is much more significant than a pronoun or a name or the clothes I wear. Yet that's okay. And it's not so it's like, well, and this has been, I've had people come up to me and say, so do you have a preferred name and preferred pronouns? And I tell them, yes, but according to the church, I can't tell you what they are. And I've had people say.
2: Ask
1: you to use them. Or ask you to use them. Yes. I've had people respond to that. I'm not the church and I'm not reading the handbook. I'm a friend. And because of that, I know they're a safe space. And so I've shared with them my preferred name and my preferred pronouns. Do I insist they use them? No. I want people to be comfortable. If you're more comfortable using different pronouns, okay. And again, it'll take time. I can't expect somebody that's known me my whole life to change my pronouns today. It, it will take time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Even even Kit will go back and forth, and that's fine. I mean, we've been married for forty-one years, and so to change pronouns and be consistent hundred percent of the time—that's uh, unreasonable. And so, um, I think, I think the trans community will do a service to themselves if they will realize that it will take patience on both sides.
0: Thank you for just being honest with the road you walk as you're trying to be both a committed Latter-day Saint and be authentic to yourself. And um, cisgender people, you know, obviously I don't have any, I don't have a paradox there. It's not like I'm riding, walking a tightrope. So that just makes me have empathy for you because you love both parts. I'm speaking for you, but you love both church and believe in the church and have given to the church for decades and want to continue to be in the church, but you also, this is who you are and you want to be authentic with who you are. And you know that that is healing to you. Um, it's not about rebellion. It's not about, it's just about, if this is okay to be the way God has made you and to be able to be that person and recognizing that that puts you on a just a careful walk to walk. And I think you're doing a great job of walking that, but it's complicated And so as I hear your story, my heart just grows for you and my empathy grows and my desire to just do anything in my control to lift your burden and to say kind things and to just help you. Um, Not only because of that, because we need you. We need your gifts and contributions to help us become the body of Christ that Paul talks about in Corinthians 12, where he talks about all the parts of the body and everything's needed. And we need LGBTQ Latter-day Saints to be in our congregations, being authentic with who they are, um, because it helps all of us. It helps them and it helps all of us. And it's part of, I think, a maturing of the church that we're ready for as we go in the third century. But it takes brave people like you that are willing to share their stories and be authentic. And not everybody feels like they can be authentic at this point in their life. There's listeners right now that's saying, I wish I could do it Bree." but I just can't right now. And if you're one of those people, don't feel shame because you can't right now. Just use Bree's Story to give you hope that you're okay. God loves you. Um, There's better days ahead. Even if you can't be authentic right now, you can be authentic with God. And I would, that's one of the core things I would invite listeners is to be authentic with God. Cause I think you'll, I tweeted out the other day, if you, it was about same sex attraction. If, You feel shame for your same-sex attraction. You should ask God how he feels about it. His answer might be helpful. (laughs) Um, And then I'm going to have Kit say something. Listeners, I think uh, you may know I've written a book, um, Embracing LGBTQ Latter-day Saints, called Listen, Learn, and Love, Embracing LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. And chapter um, eight is the only chapter I wrote about a specific group of people in that group. LGBT group and it's transgender Latter-day Saints because the road you walk is so unique and often as you know your stories sometimes aren't as well known as particularly gay men that I think we hear more gay men stories that was sort of my journey to get in the space was a couple gay men but I've recognized it's so different and often our vocabulary and understanding is so much further behind our understanding of gay men but I think even the journey of gay men in my lifetime has changed so much about, we recognize this isn't a choice and you can't undo it. People come this way and it's changed just the, we don't try to, you know, but I think let's don't have to go through that long learning curve with transgender Latter-day Saints. Let's just kind of recognize that this is a real thing. These are genuine people that feel this way. Someday I think science may help us understand why you feel this way um, I think science is our friend. We may, you know, ha, just I think we'll better understand why you felt this way as we just better understand the science. That's my personal belief, but I'm not waiting for the science. Mm-hmm. I just want to lift, just want to be there right now um, and get past the massive iron grates that Velder Uchtdorf's died us to get past. Um, Kit, as, any final thoughts you'd like to share?
2: Well, <clears throat> You say that science. I think mortality. Good. I mean, when we don't have a, a reason to know, we don't know why this happens. Well, mortality is what I think when like, somebody says that to me. You know, good. I mean, that's what we're here for. And I, um, I don't know when people ask me, one, one, how can you support so strongly? I kind of. Like, well, Bree's intelligent, Brie's spiritual. Why would I not believe when she tells me that this is what she's experiencing? Why? Who am I to question? So um, those are some thoughts I'd had. You know, I've always thought, well, the church doesn't take a stand on why this happens. And I think, well, that's a silly question. We're mortal. That's why this happens. But anyway— I just and I I believe that um, I believe her when she says this is me. This is the way I feel. And. I
0: love that. We should just believe people. They shouldn't yeah, have to prove I mean, it.
2: Yeah, they don't have to prove it. Why would I not believe? There's no history of. Um, that's another thing. I think I, now we're getting back onto our podcast and stuff. But I think that we also need to understand that just because. Somebody in the community says, this is where I am and who I am today, and it changes, that's not dishonesty. That's Good. not lying. That is a journey. We all change. It just doesn't make as big a difference to most of us in our lives. And they probably are telling the truth of that moment, and we all change. So when it, when their journey continues on and things change— that I think we need to change our thoughts that that's not dishonesty, that's not deception, that's not lying. It's just a journey. And I think that'll um, comfort us and save us from a lot of anxiety if we don't think of it as a lie, as being dishonest. And if they are hiding things, is it because they don't dare? We're proving that what they feared was correct by coming unglued at the different things that happen. So, you know, it's all food for thought. I'm not any kind of an expert. I say things like that just so people will Good. think about them, think about, you know, this, that's my experience. It's not necessarily everybody's experience.
0: Well, listeners, it's time to shut, um, sign off. <laughs> and, um, Just a thought as we close is, you know, as you may be coming aware that you have an LGBTQ member in your family, an extended family, a child, a parent, a brother, a sister, this may be something at first that's unsettling to you. But I would think, in my experience talking with families that have been on this road for a while, gradually they come to the conclusion this is one of the greatest family blessings that's ever happened, Mm -hmm. is to have an LGBTQ family member and it actually is, can bring families closer together. It's a new reality. It's the new norm. But often as you understand this space, it gives you better skills as parents, as siblings, as bro- siblings, same as brothers and sisters, just to, to support. You may have an LGBTQ um, uncle, aunt, brother, sister, and never have any LGBTQ kids, but the principles you learn from loving them help you to be a better parent, so I invite you to, if you're learning about this part of your family for the first time, even though it may bring initial fear and um, initial worry, and maybe the, a feeling that your family's not the same as other LDS families, I invite you to gradually put that aside and and think, could this be Heavenly Father's plan for a family? And could I even later in my life look back and say, this is one of the very best things that happened for a family? Because what became of this experience While it might be hard at the moment, actually, has brought our family together in ways that were never possible and or helped me be a better parent, a better local church leader, a better friend. So I'll leave that with you. And this is Bree and Kit, two of my new heroes. And please check out North Star. Um, This podcast is probably going to be released a little before the North Star Conference that starts about the 10th of June. You can um, go to Northstar's website and still sign up for that conference. Are you leading any breakout sessions, Bree? Are you? Yes. Yes. <laughs> so go to the Northstar page. It's NorthstarLDS.org. Is that yes, right? Yes. Uh-huh. NorthstarLDS.org. You, Bree's um, um, bio is there. If you want to learn more about Bree, we'll link to her bio and the Northstar registration site in the podcast episode. So scroll down. You can see it right there. And this is Richard Osler and Kit and Bree signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love.